Dedicated to the boys, ride the slab. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Life in Paradise podcast. With me, your host, Brandon Hopper. Today is Sunday, March 19th, 2023. About 4.40 in the p.m. here in sunny South Texas. I say sunny, it's not that sunny. It's kind of cloudy, kind of sunny. About 63 degrees if I had to guess. Which is odd for March, but there's always one last cold snap right before Easter. And that's that's what's going on right now. I realized that I missed the last two weeks, but that's okay. You know what? I had a long streak. feel like it did y'all some good to miss a couple weeks. Might make you remember how much you appreciate me. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. Some you'll agree with and others you won't, and I am perfectly okay with that. Because the world would be a boring place if we all agreed about everything all the time. One goal for this podcast of mine is to to preach about how we can disagree without being disagreeable. Because those who know me know I'm kind of the king of disagreeing with people. I'm just kidding. I'm not I'm not the king of disagreeing, but I I do enjoy a good healthy debate, you know? So I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. Did I already say that? I don't know. I can't even remember what I've already said. All right. Uh, if there's one thing you know about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. Got a lot of things to get to today. I'm going to try to do it very expeditiously because I'm running out of time and have lots of things to do today. Anyway, sit back, relax, and let me control the strobe light for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. always after me, so I have to be in that manner on that 503. I'm living dastardly. Must be all about survival. G, these niggas passing me. Streets just keep on getting live with me. They said there has to be another way, but I ain't feeling that. They tried to steal a lack. In my wig, they want to peel it back. The steal effect remains. It's all about the cane. Swinging bang. Peace to ESG. Well, 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 I'm back. I'm back from Mexico. I'm back from vacation. I'm back in the groove. And you know what? I'm kind of glad about it. With all the craziness that's going on in the world, it feels good for me to be in a routine. I know I've said that before, but nothing has changed. I still really, really like my routine. Before I forget, though, I must routinely remind you to go check out worldsbesthammocks.com. That's www.worldsbesthammocks.com. Literally the best hammocks in the world. I cannot afford advertising, so I must advertise my own product. If I did not feel like these were the best hammocks in the entire world, I would not be selling them to you as that. So please, if you've ever wanted a hammock, if you ever thought you should buy a hammock for someone else, if you ever thought... I would love a hammock, but with a Texas flag on it. I'm your guy. If you ever thought, I want a hammock, but I'm kind of a little bit more patriotic than most people, so I'd really like a hammock that looked like an American flag. I'm your guy. I can fix you up. I can get what you need. Worldsbesthammocks.com. Go check it out. They're not the cheapest hammocks in the world, but they are the best. Okay. Well, now with all that out the way, we're going to just jump right into it here. 
I don't even know where to start. I'm going to start with my trip. I just got back from Mexico, and I don't, I don't want, I want to preface this next segment by saying, like, don't, don't think anything less of me from what I'm about to say, because every time I go to Mexico, when I leave, I think to myself, you know what? There is really no need to come back to Mexico. And then I find myself going back to Mexico. And listen, I'm not a Mexican hater. I don't I don't hate people or hate countries, but I've been there a lot. And when I say a lot, I mean like a lot. Okay? I live in Texas. We're right by the border. When we want to go somewhere that's exotic or different or cheap or a little bit more free, we go to Mexico. That's just what we do. If you go to Cancun, you will meet more Texans than Mexicans. I promise you. And while I had a great time on my trip, I went with two of my closest friends, one of whom was my cousin, named Cousin Harry, and Juliet, who works for me for Nika Sail and Surf. We had a good time. It was Juliet's birthday. We celebrated. We ate French food. We had a lot of great food. We drank a lot of mezcal. It was, it was a good time. It really was good. But I'll tell you what. Here's what, you know, Mexico has lots of things to be appreciated, and I briefly talked about those, but Mexico also has some things that, man, it's just not, it's not all that great, you know? Let me give you some examples, so you're not just thinking to yourself, why are you just going to sit here and bash on Mexico and not even tell us no details? All of Mexico, everywhere I've ever been, except for sitting on the beach, smells like exhaust and fumes. And I guess this is just me getting older realizing the types of things that you don't realize when you're 25 but when you're 45 they make a difference and that's how nauseous exhaust fumes can make you or make me anyway every time we open the door to walk outside we stayed we stayed in Oaxaca for a couple nights we stayed in Mexico City for a couple nights and you know what when you go on these vacations there's a couple different ways to do it you can either stay out of the city where you have to rent a car or take a taxi every time you want to go in town or out of town. Well, I've kind of gotten past the point of liking driving in Mexico. I did it when I was like 17. My mom made me do it, so I know how to do it. I've been doing it for 20 years. But I don't want to do it anymore. So we stayed in town, and when you do that, you get traffic all night. You get the fumes. I mean, in both Airbnbs, they had bowls full of earplugs. And I just thought, man, if we got to have earplugs to sleep, it's not going to be all that peaceful. Well, shame on me for not recognizing that. I, I booked all the lodging, so I knew what we were getting ourselves into. But either way, it doesn't change the fact that you got to deal with the honking and the traffic and the motorcycles with no mufflers and the fumes. I just, I, I was a little bit burned out by the end. Just, just put it that way. I also... I also don't care to go to countries where they won't even drink their own tap water. You know, I mean, at least in the U.S., we can drink our own tap water if we want to. But when you go to Mexico, the locals don't even drink the tap water. But in spite of all that, it was a fun adventure. We had one flight that was supposed to land at the airport in Oaxaca, and we landed at some little chicken farm runway near the coast of Puerto Escondido, which is about a six-hour drive from Oaxaca. And we were landing, and something didn't seem right. Of course, I didn't know where we were, where we were supposed to be, but I know we weren't supposed to be near the ocean. 
So we landed about 15 miles from the ocean, and I was like, what in the world is happening? Well, come to find out, the airport in Oaxaca was on fire. The building is on fire. It was literally on fire. The, the grass at the airport where we were supposed to land in Oaxaca was burned to a crisp. And so they had to divert our flight to some other random airport. And we sat there in a plane on a runway in the heat for about an hour, hour and a half. Until finally they came on and said, okay, well, we've got more fuel now. We can go back to Oaxaca. So they diverted us. They were just going to put us in a holding pattern above the airport. Well, apparently the pilot tells whoever's in charge, we don't have enough gas. We can't be flying around in circles up here. We've got to land somewhere and put some more fuel in this plane. So they sent us to some other airport. After an hour and a half, we take back off. We fly to Oaxaca. It's all hazy. We go in for one landing, and the guy couldn't make it. He peeled off at the last second, went back up in the air, did a couple circles, came back down. We finally landed. The entire airport was charred black, but we made it. And so we spent four or five days bouncing around Oaxaca. We went to some old ruins. Uh, they weren't mine. They were some other some other tribe, but they were pretty impressive. I've, I've seen some ruins in my day, um, and I've seen some disappointing ones that you go out there. It's like a pile of rocks. And then this was a pretty big one. It was uh, pretty elaborate, lots of stairs, lots of levels. It was good views. It was a cool one. So we went there. We went and saw the church where Nacho Libre was filmed, which I had never seen, but I appreciated it, you know. We went and toured where they make mezcal, a mezcaleria, and that was cool. Learned a bunch about that. Tasted some really good mezcal. Bought some for some gifts. Gave it away. And so, yeah, it was a, it was all in all it was a good trip. I give it, I would give it like eight and a half planes out of ten out of a ten plane trip. About eight and a half. It was really good. Good time. The mole is something that Oaxaca is fam- famous for, which is like a it's an enchilada type sauce made with dark chocolate. It's not real sweet. It's a little sweet, but it's got like. 30-something ingredients, and all my life I've been wanting to like mole so bad, and I've finally just come to grips. Like, I'm not going to love it. It's something that I will eat. I'll appreciate it, but I don't crave it. I'll never think, oh, I wonder who has some good mole. You know, you put it in my face, I'll eat it. I can tell you what's good and what's bad, but that's it. I'm not, I've given up on trying to make myself love it. So that's the Mexico trip rundown. Some more stuff happened. I might drop some some experiences here and there, but for the most part, that was it. It was pretty uneventful. I mean, there's always adventure in traveling, right? There's always some funny stories that come about. But the biggest takeaway from this whole trip is that air travel is now torturous. It is it is such a bad experience traveling on commercial airlines. I've kind of got a theory. I've got a theory as to why this has become this way. But I was on six flights in like nine days. And every every single one of them except for one had something went wrong or they couldn't find some, my my uh, bag or, I mean, it's just it's one thing after the, if They're always late. They're never on time. The people are not friendly at the counters and the people you deal with. You know, the, we had like one, I had one flight attendant that actually stood out that I thought, man, she is really friendly. She is nice. She's doing a great job. One out of six, I felt that way. And you know what? I don't, I'm not a high-maintenance person. 
I don't need to have somebody waiting on me. Most of the time, I don't want anything. I want some water. Or you know what? You know what my my uh, airplane drink of choice is? There's two of them. Cran apple juice and ginger ale. I don't know why, but whenever I'm on an airplane, that's what I want to drink. I really don't like cocktails because they make me all sleepy. I'm afraid that if I fall asleep, I'll start snoring on an airplane. That's kind of embarrassing. But I just felt like the whole experience is just, it's be, you're like a cow being run through a cattle auction. You know, you show up at the TSA, and they're already barking orders at you. They say, sir, what's your first name? Your board pass says Brandon Harper, but your driver's license says Carrie. Which one's your name, sir? Uh, my name is Carrie Brandon Harper. Well, why they got this right here on a ticket, Brandon? They ain't got your no, no Carrie. I, well, I go by Brandon. They may have just gotten mixed up. Okay, go ahead, sir. You walk over there. Take your shoes off. Take your backpacks off. Take your bags out your backpack. Take the change out your pocket. You know, they're just barking orders at you the whole time. I don't understand why they can't be friendly. I get it. They're dealing with people all day long. I get that. But that's the type of job that you need to be good with people. You know, we're landing and going through customs in the U.S., coming back. And you're walking, and there's signs everywhere that say American citizens this way, non-American people that way. Well, they've got some lady with some scarf wrapped all around her head screaming at people, American citizens, keep walking. U.S. non-citizens, over to your right. And I just look, I just look at her and go, why are you yelling at everyone? We can see the signs. And I, I didn't give her a chance to respond. I just said that and kept walking. And part of me, part of me thinks that they're told to be that way, to be firm, because people are stupid. They don't listen. And maybe they're right. I just feel like there's signs everywhere. It clearly says, you know what? If people are too stupid to follow the signs and they end up in the wrong place, well, then they've just wasted all their own time. We don't need to have a, a barker out there hollering at people, screaming at them, telling them where to go. And you look around at the people that work for the TSA, and you think to yourself, "How? what's the pay here? Why, why is there people here that, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't want to say it, but they probably can't read. And I'm not judging anything based on how they speak. That's the only thing I'm basing my judgment on is how these people are talking and that they cannot conjugate the B verb. And it just, they sound unintelligent. That's that's all I'm going to say. The people, when they speak, they do not sound smart. We all know what a smart person sounds like, and we know what a dumb person sounds like. And maybe they are. Maybe I've missed the mark. And you know what? I would be okay with that. If you introduce me to these people and you say, hey, let's sit down and talk, maybe I would be glad to admit that I'm wrong. But this is just my first impression, right? I don't have any hatred for these people. I don't wish anything ill of them. I just wonder why we're hiring people who are not good with people and presumably not very intelligent to do a job where they are dealing with people all day long. Why wouldn't you want to establish a good relationship with your customers, with the people who are paying your bills, the $15 an hour that you're getting paid to wave the wand around people and to fill up in their crotch? Why not hire people who are good with people? Because really... You're doing things to people all day long who don't want things done to them. So the solution, in my opinion, is not a prison guard, but it would be something like a salesperson or someone who is good at dealing with people, interacting, fun, lighthearted, 
joking. And every once in a while, you'll come across one of these people. But it's not very often. So, yeah. So, between that and dealing with the people who work at the airlines, the actual ticket counter people. I mean, here's what I realized. They behave like they work for the government. And we all know what government workers behave like. And for those of you who don't, or maybe you think I'm lying, let me just explain to you what I mean. Government workers are not happy to be there. They're not trying to provide you with a great experience. They do not care whether they succeed or fail in helping you complete the task that you need completed. They're not concerned about the time that you left work to come fill out paperwork. They do not care that the website was wrong that told you what you needed to bring. It's not their problem that you can't get your insurance company on the phone because there's a typo on your insurance card. None of that concerns them. And why is that? Because the people who hire people for the government, they don't care. They don't care if the customer gets a good experience. There's no other competition. What, are you going to go to another government? Are you going to go register your vehicle at some other government? No, you have to shop at the government. And so because of that, they just hire people that they feel like are good enough to do the job, right? Make sure your paperwork's right, show up on time, and that's really all you have to do. Don't bother the boss. He's too busy playing solitaire to come talk to you. So they're not looking for people who provide a good experience. And this is further accentuated, or is that the right word? This is further supported in, in remembering how the flight attendants were so on top and about the mask on the stupid airplane when we were flying during the, the scamdemic. And they would tell you, sir, put your mask on. Sir, I need to put your mask on right now. You can only take it off while you're eating peanut, one peanut at a time. You eat a peanut. You take the mask off. You put the mask back on. You chew your peanut. You remove the mask for your next peanut. It was, it was literally like that. And you know what they said? I'm just doing my job, sir. I'm just doing my job. You, you can't even talk. You couldn't talk to them without them getting mad and telling you that they were just doing their job. Just like the guys at Auschwitz who were just doing their job, they weren't asking questions. I have a big problem with people who don't ask questions. In case you cannot tell, you should always ask questions. So, yeah, I don't know. That's my take on commercial air, tra air travel. One day, I hope to have my own airplane or be able to rent airplanes because... Oh, it's the, the experience is just getting worse and worse, and it's almost not worth it. I, I got a buddy of mine who's like, he's in his early 70s. He said, no, I'm done flying on planes. I, there's no need for me to ever get on an airplane. I don't like the people. I don't like strangers. I don't like the crowds. I don't like having to hope my bags show up. I don't like having to worry about being late. I don't have to worry about missing my flight. I don't want to have to worry about being picked up from the airport. I don't want to have to worry about any of that. And <laughs> And when I first heard the, him say that, I thought, well, you're just an old curmudgeon, you know? But after this trip, I'm like, you know what? He's right. He is right. At one point, at some point, you will just say, it's not worth it. It is not worth going through that. If I can drive somewhere in 10 hours or fly in six, I'm driving. I'm probably driving in 10. You know, used to my threshold was six and six. If it was going to be more than six hours driving, I would fly. But now, it's like, it's going to be 10. If I if I can get somewhere within 10 hours, I'm probably going to drive. Probably going to drive. Even flying back to Fort Worth where my family is, takes the same amount of time to drive as it does to fly. By the time you show up early, you go through security, you sit there, you wait on your plane, your plane's late, you land, you sit on the runway on your plane, you wait for the, the what do they call it, the, 
the jetway to free up. Then you get off the plane and you hope your bags show up and you wait on your bags and you got to go outside and wait for someone to pick you up. I just don't know. It's just it's becoming less and less worth it. Thank goodness there's some new airlines that are emerging that I think are hoping to combat this frustration. One of them is like JSX, I think. And they're not a private plane, but they're they're smaller. They're a little bit more expensive, and I think that they they sell themselves on providing a good experience, which I hope to goodness they make it. I really do, because the world needs more businesses that are focused on service. So that is my take on air travel, and that's. I'm sorry, I'm still a little bit bitter. I know my voice got a little bit worked up, but that's really how I feel. You know, you come here for a dose of me and my opinion and my soul, and that's what you just got. So. On to the next topic. It's a baby out here in the middle of the road, bruh. I never seen no shit like this, bruh. We on a Fitzgerald Highway, my nigga. We on a Fitzgerald Highway, bruh. It's a baby out here, bruh. On everything. In okay. the middle of the road. On everything. I like that line. On everything. It was cold as hell. I should have let film stay and let y'all see that. That one that gonna happen to that white woman for letting that damn baby in that road. Wait, I forgot. There, I have a story of what I wanted to tell about an airplane experience. And so we'll just, we'll just consider this the next topic. It's not part of the airplane topic. It's the next topic. This topic will be entitled, We Used to Be Free. Okay? We Used to Be Free. It, it did take place on an airplane. So everyone knows when you land on an airplane and it's taxing, you are not supposed to stand up. It's a big, big no-no. I don't know why, but it is. Everyone knows it. They know it so well, people don't even try it, right? People get a little bit pushy, a little bit testy right when the airplane stops at the gate before the bing goes off and they get up and every now and then somebody will say, excuse me, sir, you need to please stay, keep your seat until your full complete stop, the doors are big cross check for verification. And every now and then somebody will get up to her and they will sit back down. Well, we landed on one of these flights we landed, we were taxiing full speed, and this drunkard comes stumbling down the aisle <laughs> trying to get either to the door or maybe his suitcase. I don't know, but we were clearly moving. We had just landed, and everyone was a whisper. Oh, you see this guy's walking down, he's walking down the aisle, he's walking down the aisle. And all of a sudden, the lady, uh, the, the flight attendant, who's still sitting in her jump seat looking backwards down the aisle, like, sir. Sir, you need to go back to your seat, sir. Sir, we are not stopped. You need to go back to your seat. And then the, the pilot comes on. Well, just a friendly reminder, you please stay in your seat until we come to a complete stop. You're here in danger of someone falling down. And so this drunk guy looks around. He goes, I thought we were in the USA, and this is supposed to be a free country. <laughs> and I started laughing. I was laughing so hard at this guy. I didn't high-five him, but I wanted to. He was... He was kind of a little bit too far away from me. But I just busted out laughing. He's like, I thought we were back in the USA. This is a free country. <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny to me, but I I felt like I owed it to you guys to give you a glimpse into what I find is funny. The dude was nowhere near sober. Like it had he hadn't been sober for at least five hours. <laughs> and he he wanted off that damn plane. He probably had to pee. You know, he, he may have been walking to the bathroom. I don't know. But either way, they were not having any of that. There's not allowed to stand up. It's the airlines, and we follow very strict rules, and we're very powerful, and we will control our customers.
And don't nobody want their child to be sick. And don't nobody want to take that virus to their house. Don't nobody want to take their virus to their house. Okay, moving right, right along here. Uh, man, I'm already going slower than what I planned on. I, I got to make myself go more faster. All right, if you don't know or you have not heard by now, there's a mayor in the city of Houston named Sylvester Turner. Now, Sylvester is extremely corrupt. Now, keep in mind, this is all my opinion. You know, you may think Sylvester Turner's on the up and up and is a good character of high morals and great leadership. I disagree. I think he's crooked, corrupt, and unfair. I'm not going to go into all the reasons why, but let's just say he's got a track record of doing things that should be questioned, but for whatever reason, they're not, right? He had given contracts to buddies of his that he claimed that he didn't know, he did favors for people to help them keep their businesses open during COVID. He worked with the county judge to do the same thing. He had one of his aides get busted for some big scandal. And instead of firing him, he got him a job at the airport as an intern for $90,000 a year. He's just a scumbag. All right, He is not a good guy. He does not have leadership skills. He's not the kind of person you would appoint to negotiate for your corporation he was elected for the wrong reasons. I don't know what those reasons are, but he was elected for the wrong reasons. Well, the city of Houston School District, HISD, Houston Independent School District, has recently been taken out of the hands of the city of Houston and given to the state. For whatever reason, things have gotten so bad, Governor Grabbit has said, Sorry, Sylvester, you guys can't run the Houston School District anymore you're not good at it we're gonna have to take it from you we're gonna run it for you well what does the school district do they run around and say that it's all racism and it's all a political football it's all a stunt to try to gain popularity for governor grab it but i would encourage you to go look at the statistics for the city of houston school district and tell me if you think it should have been taken away from the corrupt idiots who are running it into the ground nonetheless sylvester turner you know, and he, he has a really hard time with the English language. And he doesn't say words like our. He says Alva. Alva. He doesn't say, he's tried to say Michelob before, and he calls it Michelob. Michelob Ultra. I'm going to try to find those clips. They're very hard to find, but I'm going to try to find them. He gets upset when people question his decisions. He's just not a good dude, okay? You wouldn't, you wouldn't want this guy coaching your little league, your kid's little league football team. I promise. Maybe you would. Maybe you would. But if you do, me and you are very, very different. We value different things, and our priorities are completely different. Anyway, I know you've also heard me talk about Sheila Jackson Lee, the congresswoman from Houston, who represents one of the poorest districts in the state of Texas, 99% black, and she happens to be also black. She can barely conjugate the B verb. She thinks we've landed on Mars. She's made a lot of, lot, a lot of stupid statements. But here's the kicker. The word on the street is that Sylvester Turner and Sheila Jackson, the Lee, are going to swap places. And She-Jack is going to run for mayor. And Sylvester is going to run for Congress. And you know what? As embarrassing as it would be to have another illiterate person in congress i kind of am looking forward to it i'm not gonna lie 
I'm not going to lie. Thank goodness those people don't represent me or anything I stand for or nowhere that I live. I don't have to worry about them to make any decisions that will really affect me. So I'm kind of looking forward to it. I would love, I would kind of love to see Sylvester go speak before Congress and people like Rand Paul and Ted Cruz and Chip Roy question him. You know, I, 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 I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I really am. I'm kind of looking forward to it. So that's the update. I'll keep you posted on that. I knew something was wrong when a little pretty white girl ran into a black man's arm. Okay. The next thing I'm going to talk about is an issue that people are starting to point out that could be arising. And it's it's something similar to what I previously mentioned about hiring people for the wrong reasons. And I've talked about this before. And I think that it's happening, right? It's, it's people that are being appointed to positions of power. Um, not because of their superior leadership skills, not because of what they've demonstrated in the past, but because of other things about them that don't really affect or they don't they don't propel or enhance their leadership abilities. OK, now you might be thinking, what are you even talking about? And I'm going to explain to you what I mean. OK, I've talked a little bit about the police force lowering their standards for hiring new hires why did they do this well i don't know for sure but from what i've read there was a lot of police forces who looked around and they think to themselves or they say or they get criticized uh you all is all white you got all these white people running around here shooting and beating up all the black people so we need y'all need some more black people well then the police force comes back and they go uh, well, this is who applies. You know, we don't, we don't not hire black people. We're kind of actually incentivized to hire them, but we have to only hire who comes to us because we have a set of standards that says in order to qualify a police officer, you have to have a, your criminal background has to look like this. Your physical ability has to look like this. You have to pass this form of test. So we have standards, right? We don't just let anybody who walks in become a cop. So, and all of their wisdom, they thought, well, we need to change those standards so that we can have a diverse police department. So, okay, that's fine. That's your decision. If it's more important to you that you have a diverse police department than it is that you have a qualified police department, that's fine. That's your decision. But we have to remember that those standards were set for a reason. And I don't know why we set them, but I would venture to guess because we need a certain level of performance. And in order to achieve that level of performance, there's a certain set of standards you have to prove that you can fulfill. Because somewhere along the lines, diversity stopped meaning we want a variation in the way that people think. And it started meaning we want people to look different and have different skin colors, which is not anything to do with diversity, right? And what are we what are we saying that like what just because someone's skin color is different that they think different? That seems kind of prejudiced if you ask me. I don't know. But nonetheless, here we are. We get people like Corinne Jean St. Pierre, the White House spokesperson who can barely do her job. She would have been fired long ago if she was a spokesperson for a real company. And we get these military leaders, these Women who pretend like they're men and men who pretend like they're women and men who want to wear dresses and they want to just show the world that this is all acceptable and everything's fine. It's, fi it's men want to wear dresses. That's fine. Sure. 
let's not put him on the world stage of leading the globe, the military, the strongest military in the entire world, because it's just not normal, right? Whether or not we think it's right or wrong is our own individual opinion, but we do have to satisfy norms if we want to be taken seriously. If we don't care what anyone thinks about us, then sure, we'll get high heels and miniskirts for the entire military, and we can do it that way. We've also been told that we have to hire black police officers, just like I was talking about. Well, okay, so here, this brings us to the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration. And I don't know for sure, but I'd venture to guess somewhere along the line, somebody said, We need to have a black person in the FAA because there's no black people. And there's probably no black pilots either. I don't know why that is. Maybe they don't enjoy flying. Maybe they don't have the resources to learn to fly. That's fine. I understand we need to provide opportunity to help people learn to do things. That's perfectly fine. What I'm not okay with is lowering standards, which is what airlines have been doing because they're being told by their diversity and inclusion department that they need more people with different skin color. So they go out and they lower their standards to hire pilots who are not as qualified. Okay, so this is trickling up into all branches of the government, all big businesses who kind of operate like the government does. And we're starting to see what's happening. All that to say this. Okay, I want you to listen to this guy who's been who's Biden's nominee to be the FAA boss man. I don't know what what his official title is. Administrator FAA. Um, Yeah, I'm going to just buzz through this clip. And, and you would think, okay, now let's think about what this person needs to know. What kind of skills do you need to have to lead the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration? Do they need to be a pilot? Mm, some would argue no. I would say yes, they do. They need to be a pilot. They need to understand terminology. They need to understand the rules. They need to understand all the things that go into landing airplanes, taking them off, safety, um, hot checks, engine hours. They need to know lots and lots and lots about airplanes. Maybe not. If, if you're not a pilot, you need to have been involved in the airline industry for your entire career, right? We need a specialist. We need people who understand the ins and the outs of airplanes and airlines and everything about them. You might disagree. You might think, nah, I'm fine with a trash can man uh, dictating on how planes fly around. That's fine. That's your opinion. We're just talking about my opinion right now. I own the microphone. We're talking about my opinion. And so here's this guy. Here's some questions that they asked him when they were interviewing him uh, about being appointed. And I'm going to just uh, I'm going to let you take a listen. My colleagues and I were concerned about the many uh, or several parts of your background and your lack of aviation experience. Let's hear it. Now, there's many new regulations that the FAA has issued or is in process of developing. Um, here's for in, here's one for instance. The FAA is spending billions of dollars on its next gen program, as you're aware, to modernize the national airspace system. A key part of this update is moving towards GPS navigation for pilots and ATC. Now, as part of this transition, the FAA recently required airplanes to be equipped with an ADSB transponder. So, Mr. Washington, can you quickly tell me uh, what airspace requires an ADSB transponder? Quickly, please. Thank you for the question, Senator. Uh, not sure I can answer that question right now. That's, that's okay. We'll just keep going. So, um, so what are the six types of special use airspace that protect this national security that appear on FAA charts? Quickly, please. 
Uh, sorry, Senator, I cannot answer that question. Okay, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just keep going. So, so what are the operational limitations of a pilot flying under basic med? Well, thank you for the question, Senator. I'm not a pilot, so. Uh, but I, obviously you'd ever see the F Federal Aviation Administration. So um, any, any idea what those uh, restrictions are under basic med, quickly? Uh, well, some of the restrictions I think would be high blood pressure. Uh, some of them would be. It's more like how many passengers per airplane, how many pounds okay. in different categories, and uh, what ele what uh, altitude uh, you can fly under. So, and uh, and then uh, amount of knots. It's under 250 knots. So, okay. it's not having have anything to do with blood pressure. So, uh, let's keep going here. Uh, can you see? So can you tell me what causes an aircraft to spin or to stall? Uh, again, Senator, I'm not a pilot, um, but I would lean on uh, our uh, career employees and our safety yeah. folks. Uh, within the FAA. He doesn't know what causes an airplane to stall and spin. Listen, I know that. I'm not a pilot. He doesn't know what causes an airplane to stall. They're wanting to put this guy in charge of the Federal Aviation Administration, and he cannot tell you what causes an airplane to stall. Okay, uh, let's keep going. Mr. Washington, what are the three aircraft certifications the FAA requires as part of the manufacturing process? Quickly, please. Three uh, aircraft certifications. Uh, again, uh, what I would say to that is that one of my first priorities would be to fully implement that Certification Act uh, and report. You know the three types, uh, Mr. Washington? He has no clue. The, the three no. types. He okay. has no yeah. freaking clue the three types of certifications needed. I mean, what what are we doing? For the record, the three types of certificates are the type certificate, the production certificate, and the airworthiness certificate. So can you tell me what the minimum separation distance is for landing and departing airliners during the daytime, Mr. Washington? I, I don't want to guess on that, Senator, okay. uh, but right. uh, it would be easy for me to find Thank out. Thank you. Uh, you know, unmanned aircraft standards, but uh, are you familiar with the difference between Part 107 and Part 44809 when it comes to unmanned aerial standards? Unmanned aerial, unmanned like drones, are you familiar with the yes, difference? Yes, yes. Okay, you know the difference between those two, Part 44809 and Part 107? Do you know the difference there? No, I cannot. Uh, That's okay. Spell that out for time is Yeah, thank you. So you know, the uh, FAA can't afford to be led by someone who needs on-the-job training, and for that reason, I'm going to be opposing your nomination. But thank. You. Yeah, that's what you should do. This guy doesn't know jack squat about the Federal Aviation Administration. Now, to be fair, I should probably go listen to some people who questioned him that think he should get the job, and then give him the layup questions that he can nail the answers to. But I'm not going to, because in my opinion, if you aren't a specialist, if you aren't a guru in all things airplane flying, and you cannot even tell me what causes an airplane to stall, you have no business running the FAA. Listen, I feel like I could run a lot of things. I feel like I could step into the seat of a lot of roles and be able to figure it out as I go. Something as specialized as running the Federal Aviation Administration is not something anyone should do if they don't know what they're doing, including me, including anyone. Jeff Bezos, all right? You, you, Elon Musk, he shouldn't even be doing it. The smartest people in the world shouldn't be doing it. So is it safe to assume that they're picking this guy for some other reason? I think it is. 
it's it's perfectly safe to assume that because it's not from his superior knowledge, right? I don't care how good of a leader you are. It doesn't matter how good of a motivator you are. I don't care how honest you are. That does not enough to land you the job. You have to be specialized, right? What's the difference between someone who has business experience that steps into the role of running a doctor's office, right? Let's just say that I decided I wanted to go buy a doctor's practice, and I'm not a doctor, never been a doctor, don't know anything about being a doctor, but could I run the business? Yeah, I probably could. Could I get by okay? Yeah, probably. But I won't be making any decisions about how to treat patients. I won't be calling the shots on how to treat them. Furthermore, I will not be the federal governing body over some association. Now, I realize that you've got to be a good manager. You, There's probably a difference between someone who knows a lot about aviation and someone who is very good at administration type things. But you will never convince me that amongst 330 million people, we cannot find one who can do both. Because we're not talking about a bunch of offices all over the country who need to be filled by people. We're talking about one role, one job, and our selection pool is like 300 million. And we can't get a guy in there that tells us why airplane stalls. So is it safe to say we're picking people for the wrong reasons? Because we're not picking people for the right reasons, we have to be picking them for the wrong reasons. Now, why are we picking this guy? Is it his skin color? I have no idea. Is it because Biden owes him a favor? I have no idea. Is it because Biden wants him in there to do some nefarious things? I don't know. I, but all I can do is say he's being picked for the wrong reasons. Now, it wouldn't be out of line to say one of those reasons is the color of his skin. And the reason that I feel that way is because for years and years and years, everyone's been running around saying that we don't have enough black people fill in the blank. So because I've been hearing that for the last decade and because of the fact that he has clearly no idea what he's doing, it's not that far off to say they're just picking this guy because he's black and he's got some experience managing one airport in one city, in one state. Maybe I'm wrong. You know what? Maybe I am. And if I'm wrong, that doesn't mean that I hate black people. That doesn't mean that I'm a racist. It just means that my theory was incorrect. The whole point of all of this is to say we've got to quit focusing on things that do not matter. We have to start paying attention to what matters. No matter how good it makes us feel to be surrounded by a bunch of people that, that sleep with the people of the same sex. Right? No matter how good it feels to show everyone that you're really accepting of these people and that you want to be their friends and you feel sorry for them because they've had a rough life and everyone's picked on, no matter how good that makes you feel, it's not worth it. It's not worth the possibility of something going entirely wrong, right? In my opinion, maybe it is for you. Maybe that you feel like, well, it's okay if planes crash every now and then, at least we've got some diversity. And that's not to say that we can't have diversity and planes not crashing. We can have both. I would be willing to bet every dime I have that there is a black guy out there that knows way more than this guy that could do a lot better job. But for whatever reason, he's been the one that they've picked. And so here we are 
probably going to be left with an FAA administrator who cannot freaking tell us why planes stall. Okay, for those of you who don't know anything about aviation, that that is as simple of a question as, as something like, why do cars quit running when they run out of gas? Well, because there's no more fuel for the engine to burn, right? When a plane has less thrust and cannot produce enough lift, it stalls and it falls out of the sky. This is a, You learn this in like day one of aviation school. And they're talking about putting this guy in charge of the whole gang that can't answer that one question. That is just pathetic. Could be a crackhead that got hold to the wrong stuff. Okay, next topic. I know you've been hearing lots about banks failing. I know you hopefully are a little bit worried because this is a serious thing. It, it may or may not develop into something gigantically problematic. Let's hope it does not. But I'm going to try to give you a quick, 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 easy rundown on what's happening with these banks. And the only reason I can speak with certainty and confidence about it is because I've been taking in this information for two weeks straight, and I feel like I've got a pretty good grasp on what's happening. So I'm going to do my best to break it down into simple terms. And if you want more info, just holla at me. Holla at your boy, BrandonTheHarper at gmail.com. Okay, so let's first talk about how banks make money, right? We know that they charge interest on loans, right? You go, you want to buy a $50,000 car. They say, sure, we buy the car, you pay us back, you could keep the car and use the car. So that's how that's a one way they make money. Where do they get the money to buy that car? Well, people deposit money in the bank and they say, hey, here's my paycheck. Hang on to it. Keep it safe. Let me use my debit card. And if I ever need my money, I'm going to come back and get it. So don't go spend it at the casino. So there's lots of other things they do, but those that's the basic, basic premise, right? They also invest. They also take the money and they buy what's called securities. And the security just means something that you are paying for that you expect a return on. You expect money back, your, your investment plus some more. That's a security in basic, basic terms. So banks are motivated to go out there and invest money and make more than what they're paying the people who have their deposits with the bank. So it's pretty much gone to zero. But the model for a bank was, hey, if you let us hang on to your money, we'll give you a little bit of interest on top of your money. And then we'll take that money and we're going to go loan it out and tinker with it. And we're going to make some more money for us. Well, one of the ways that they invest is called buying bonds. And without going into lots of details, I'm going to give you a simple version of how a bond works. Let's just say I own a bank. I'm, I'm the, the dude with the money and I own a bank. So, and I have all, you know, all this money that's sitting on deposit in my bank. And I think, man, I could, I could take that money and I could do something with it. I could make a little bit of money. I could go buy what's called a bond, which is basically taking that money and loaning it out, right? Typically, bonds happen through the federal government. It's a way for people to loan the federal government money. And so think about it like this. If I go out and I buy a bond, I got a little sheet of paper in my hand. All right. I hand the government a thousand dollars 
and they hand me a sheet of paper. This sheet of paper says, hey, we're going to pay you 7% per year on the $1,000 for 30 years. Every year, you're going to get 7%. And then at the end of 30 years, you're going to get all your money back. So along the way, you're making 7% every year, 7%. Let's just keep easy math. Let's just say it's 100 bucks. So you're making $7 a year every year for 30 years. So at the end of 30 years, you will have made $210. And then the government says, hey, thank you very much. Here's your money back. Here's your $100 back. You got your 210 Now you've made $310 over 30 years from just a $100 investment. So that interest rate that you're being paid gets locked in when you buy that bond, when you get that sheet of paper. It says you're locked in 7% 30 years or 10 years or there's six months or there's two months, there's two years, five years, 10 years. There's all sorts of duration. The duration just means at which point you get your initial investment back in full. That's the duration or the maturity of the bond. Okay, so back to our scenario. I'm the bank owner. I have purchased a bond. I've got my sheet of paper that says I have the rights to $7 per month for easy math. $7 per year until the thing matures, okay? That's locked in. Now, the rate gets determined by the federal government when they sell these bonds every single day. It's um there there's the they say this is how much we're going to pay today. This interest rate gets locked in for the entire duration. And so remember, mine was locked in at 7%, right? I can get 7% on my initial investment per year. And let's just say, as time goes on, that number goes up, right? So things have changed. Now the government's paying 9%. Well, remember, I'm only locked in for 7%. So what what has to happen? Because remember, all I have is a sheet of paper. I can sell that to anyone on the secondary market. I can sell it to my next-door neighbor, and I can say, hey, look, I've got nine years left on this 10-year bond. It, it will pay you $1,000 at the end of nine years, and you'll get five you get 7% along the way. What is he going to say? He's going to say, well, how much do you want to sell it for? Because I'm not going to pay $100 for something that I could only get 7% on when I could just go buy one straight from the government, and they're paying 9%, right? So what has to happen for me to entice my neighbor to buy it, I have to lower the price. So now, instead of selling it for $100, I have to sell it for maybe like 75 or 80 Because remember, the, the piece of paper that I'm selling entitles him to 7 bucks a year. But for $100, he could go buy a piece of paper that entitles him to $9 a year, right? So I got to make up that difference. This is what you call the bond discount. This is what... When interest rates go up, the value of bonds go down because you have to entice them to buy your bond at a lower price than the than the $100 bond they could buy from the government. Because remember, you pay a lower return than what the government's paying. And technically, they're all still issued by the government. You're just transferring ownership of the bond from me to the neighbor. Okay, so that's how bonds work. When the interest rates go up, Bond prices have to go down. The value of that bond goes down. Now, you can hold it all the way till maturity if you need to. In that, in that case, it doesn't matter the value of the bonds. If you're not buying or selling them, then that's fine. 
you get your money back at the end, and everyone's happy. In this case, okay, back to the banks, all right? So what's happened? A lot of these banks were holding bonds. And then we got to the point where we started raising interest rates. We started cranking up the interest rates to slow down people borrowing money, to try to slow down the economy, to try to bring inflation down. So we raised interest rates really high, really quickly. And so remember, all these guys that are holding these bonds, what's happened to the value of their bond? It's gone down because the interest rates have gone up. So now think about it like this. The banks are holding all these little sheets of paper whose value has gone down, basically. The value of those bonds has gone down. And then they have a need to meet their cash obligations. So they got to make payroll. They have to pay for their real estate. They got to pay for all the regulations and everything that they have to pay out. Well, typically what they'll do is they'll go sell some of those bonds to have enough cash to make their financial obligations. But remember, the value of those bonds have gone way down. So what's happened is these banks that typically would be able to go sell these pieces of paper for more than what they paid for them, they're now selling them for less. And when they do that, they have to take a loss in their accounting. And they don't have enough money to pay everyone their deposits. And so this is what's happening. There's a combination of a few other things, but the main part is they're illiquid. They do not have the cash to give the depositors. People are going to the banks and they're saying, hey, you're not paying me any interest on the money that I have with you. You're paying me a very, very little amount. So I want my money and I'm going to go buy bonds with my own money because the interest rates are so high and I can get a good return. I'm not using my money. It's just sitting in your bank. So I need my money. Well, remember, they take all the money on deposit and they loan it out. So you've had a lot of people recently that have gone to banks demanding their money. So the banks have to sell the securities or the bonds or the little sheets of paper that entitle them to income to get the cash to pay these people for their deposits. Well, in doing so, they ran out of money. And so that's the basic of it. There's a few more little things like, well, I don't want to go into it, but it has to do with short-term and long-term interest rates. Basically, they borrow at one rate and they lend at another rate. And when those two rates flip-flop, now they're borrowing for higher than they're lending for. And so they're losing their ass on that too. In com combination with a lot of these banks, we're funding these high-risky startup uh, tech companies who are all going broke. And so it's a combination of all these things with a few other things that are causing banks to collapse. Now, there's what's called the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. This is an insurance policy that banks have to buy into that covers depositors' accounts up to $250,000. Now, the problem with that is there is not enough money in the FDIC fund to cover more than 1% of deposits in the U.S. So that's not to say that we will need to produce 99% of deposits because that's not going to happen. The banks go broke. You still get some of your money back, but you won't get it all if you have over 250000 Technically, the federal government says if you have more than $250,000, you're on your own after that two fifty. Anything up to that two fifty, we will make sure the bank pays you back. So let's just say that a bank fails and all their people need to be made whole. Okay, 
They go to the FDIC. They say, hey, we need the money to pay these people. We're going to cash in on our insurance policy. Well, technically, the FDIC should not cover anyone with more than 250000 Well, what's happened in this Silicon Valley bank deal is the federal government stepped in and they said, you know what? We're going to make everyone whole even if they had more than 250000 because we just think it's good to be nice to people. That sounds great. Everyone likes to hear it. They're going to get their money back. But there's two reasons that people are skeptical of this. Number one, because that wasn't the deal. The deal was if you had more than 250, anything over 250 is on you. But if we dig into it a little bit and we see who all's members of this bank and where are they from and what are they do and who do they give their money to? Well, just so happens that they all give their money to the Democrat Party. All the elections, all the the Warnocks and everybody who needed money throughout the midterms, they were just, this bank was giving money away. It's all public record. This is not a secret. They're also highly connected with the tech industry, who happens to all be Democrats and liberals, and they all vote blue. So it's just a little fishy that this particular bank, they stepped in, they said, okay, well, even we're, we're going to still cover the people with more than 250000 so now the question is, since we've seen four more banks explode since them, okay, are you going to just cover everyone all the time? Or eventually are you going to say, hey, we can't cover anything more than 250000 Well, then you're going to have people mad because you're, they're going to say, you covered Silicon Valley Bank, why aren't you covering us? So the Fed is going to have to pony up and pay for it. Well, that's great, but remember, money is finite. There's only a certain amount of money floating around. So that money, remember, the Federal Reserve only had 1% to pay out of all the deposits in the country. So let's just say we need to produce five or six times that amount. Where's the money going to come from? Well, it's going to come from the federal government. How's the federal government going to get it? I guarantee you they're not going to cut spending. What they're going to do is they're going to create money out of thin air. And this, as we know, causes inflation. So basically, we're on the edge of a cliff. If banks continue to explode, which I think they will, because this is not a matter of one bank doing one thing wrong one time. This is a matter of this is how banks have been behaving for 10 years because the financial conditions were conducive to behaving that way. Now we flipped the script on them. We got them upside down by their ankle shaking all the change out of their pockets, and we're expecting them to figure it out where they're not going to be able to. And so the two options are let the people go broke or print money. And if we print money, it's got to come from somewhere. It's going to cause inflation. Either way, the piper gets paid. There's no way out of this. What's the solution for you? I don't know. I'm not your financial advisor. For me, I'm taking what teeny little bitty baby bit of cash I have, and I'm buying government-backed securities, buying treasury bills. That's just what's going to work for me. I don't know what's going to work for you. I would not advise holding dollars in a bank account if you can avoid it. If you have a substantial amount of money in a checking account or a savings account or even a money market account, in my opinion, it's better to hold other things like maybe Bitcoin or maybe treasury bills or maybe even stocks or other bonds. It's up to you. I'm just saying I would not feel comfortable if I had a decent amount of money in a bank. But that's just me, you know? 
You are entitled to your own opinion. You may say, I'm a stupid idiot, and I'm doom and gloom, and I'm always talking about the end of the world as we know it. And that is your decision. That's fine with me. We can still be friends. Okay, man, I am at one hour, and I've got like three topics left. There's no possible way I'm going to get to them both. So I'm going to I'm gonna pick one. This, this is the thing. If you can make federal laws to protect the bird, which, which is, is the, the bald, bald eagle, eagle, you can make federal laws to protect people of color. People of color. We're only going to protect people of color. We're not going to protect them white folks, them stupid old white boys or trifling white people, only people of color. Do people really think that there are laws that only protect white people? You know, this guy's an attorney, apparently. I think he was George Floyd's family attorney or something. And he thinks that there's laws that protect white people and not people of color. Has this guy been made aware that COVID loans were available to only people without white skin? Has anyone told this guy that people have preferential treatment when it comes to school applications if they have dark skin maybe he doesn't know all this stuff someone should tell him and let me say this say it jesse to my african-american or black brothers and sisters that which one this is not your fight let me tell you something after dark we all look mexican right down the street i you know what i like about that line mexican i like the way jesse jackson we all look Mexican riding around the street at night. I like it. Mexican. I feel like racial divisions at an all-time high. I don't know. I wasn't around in the 60s. Maybe It was probably a lot worse off in the 60s. But I've been thinking about it a lot. And I don't know what to think. I mean, it's a personal decision, right? How you feel about somebody is only something that you can control. It's deep down inside your soul. It's not for anyone else to say how you feel. And I think that's something we kind of overlook. It's kind of a, it's kind of sacred, uh, for lack of a better word, in my opinion. Like, how I feel about someone is how I feel about someone. And unless I specifically tell you in great detail all the intricacies about how I feel, it's not cool for you to judge or, or try to guess or label the way that I feel. You know, as we were traveling in Mexico, we'd come across other people. Americans, presumably, right? Other people with white skin. And we were in an area where there wasn't a lot of people with white skin. There wasn't a big tourist town. We kind of stuck out like sore thumbs. Me and my homeboy cousin Harry, we're not little. We're big old boys. And people would just stare at us everywhere we went because we're different. We're not the same as them. And that's okay. I'm not offended by it. And I also lived in Nicaragua where I was by far a minority. And I also live in Corpus Christi, Texas, where I am a minority. All of my neighbors are Hispanic, presumably Mexican. Mexican, as Jesse Jackson says. And I'm okay with that. But if people choose to segregate, I don't have a problem with that either. You know, we think back to the forced segregation or the desegregation of the 60s and 70s, and I completely understand why they did it. I'm not saying it was a bad thing. But I'm saying today, in today's world, we should not force things to be separate. We should not segregate things. But if people want to do it out of their own will, that's fine with me. People want to be around people who are similar to them. That's why you have things like Chinatown and Harlem and River Oaks. and People who live around people that are like them. 
They eat the same food. They drink the same drinks. They wear the same clothes. They drive the same cars. They do all the things that are similar. So it feels comforting to be around those who are similar to you. And I do not knock anyone who wants that or appreciates that or seeks it out. In fact, would would things be better? And I know that is an uncommon opinion. There's people out there saying, I knew it. I knew it all along. He is a racist. And you can think that all you want to. I don't care. I will never sit here and say, I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. I don't care. I don't care what you think. But maybe societies would be happier, better, less conflict if they all just stayed within their own territory. And I'm not suggesting that we force this. I'm just saying hypothetically. What if we could look at the statistics and we could say, hey, there's less crime. Whenever all the Asians are around the Asians and they don't have to contend with the other people of other skin color that they don't like, there's less crime, there's less violence, there's less problems. And what if we could look at those statistics and admit that? Would it be wrong to allow people to live that way if they wanted to? Now, I don't think it's right to say there are no black people allowed to live in this neighborhood. I don't think that's good. That's not a good thing. Because, sure, sure, we, we get along better with people who are like us. But there are people out there who want to live around people who are not like them. And that is perfectly fine, too. Like, I am perfectly happy Surrounded by Mexican people. It doesn't bother me one bit. I don't think about it. It doesn't matter. I like their food more than white people food most of the time, you know? So I'm okay with that. What I don't want is someone to say, nope, sorry, whitey, you can't live in here. Sorry, black man, you can't live in here. That's not a good thing. But I don't think we should look around and say, you know, Bill, we really need some more black people in this neighborhood. Why? It's not because you want to eat fried chicken. It's because you want to tell your friends that you want more black people around. And that's fine. But don't just pretend like diversity of skin color is a good thing. Because it may or may not be. And possibly in some instances, diversity of skin color might not be good. Diversity of culture might not be a good thing. Right? If you were to take Buffy from River Oaks, who gets driven around in a Rolls Royce every day, and you plop her in the middle of Harlem... And you say, here you go, Buffy, you'll be better off here, even though these people are nothing like you. I would disagree. She wouldn't be. We all can disagree. And that's not even to, anything to do with the socioeconomic factors, right? All things the same. Just being surrounded by people who are like you or, or wanting to be surrounded by people who are like you is perfectly fine. And I don't think we should knock that. I don't think we should poo-poo it. I think it works best when most people can have their their desires met. So I think we should look at policy from the angle or from the standpoint of how can we make the most people the most happy without hurting anyone. And forcing people to do anything other than that, I don't think is a good, it's not a good situation to be in. And what really sucks is that it's hard to have these conversations. You know, no matter how much I sit here and try to like, prove to people that these are genuine thoughts and that there's no harmful thoughts included in them, I have to be on the defensive. And that's really what bothers me is that people running around screaming that they want diversity of thought. And well, here you go. 
here's some stupid redheaded guy who's got some crazy thoughts that might not match up with everyone else's thoughts, but you don't want to hear those because they're different than your thoughts. So it's not diversity that people actually want. They want to be known for asking for diversity while implementing their own will. Because these are the same types of people who think that they know best for everyone and that we're too stupid to make our own decisions about where to live and where to eat and where to work and who to hang out with. They feel like that we need to surround ourselves with people that they think we need to surround ourselves with because we're too stupid to figure out our own lives. To me, that's insulting. Not much really insults me other than people. Here's what insults me the most. A small group of people making laws that regulate large groups of people. I know you have to have it. I get it. You have to maintain law and order. You can't be an anarchist. You've got to have law enforcement. You've got to have people who organize the building of roads. I understand all that. But the whole culture wars that we're seeing will only get worse. And the reason for this is that people virtue signal. That they want to prove... They're so desperate that everyone know that they're not racist, that they're for equality and equity, that they're willing to force people to do things that they don't want to do. Just like a barber shop, right? I mean, should I go to a white barber or a black barber? I'm a white person, you know? Does it matter which barber I go to? Probably not. If I go to a white barber, Chances are my barber's going to be white, and he's been cutting white people hair his whole life, and he knows exactly how to cut it. Now, I'm not a barber, so I could have some of these details wrong, but I would suspect that black barbers are better at cutting black people hair, and white barbers are better at cutting white people hair. So, for someone to walk into a white barber shop with all white people and white barbers and say, we need more black people in here, there's just not enough black people is just ridiculous because those same people would never walk into a black barber shop and say, we need more white people in here. We don't have enough whiteies. And because of the fact that it doesn't go both ways, tells me it's not genuinely about people feeling welcome and comfortable. It's about how you feel about how other people feel about you. And when I say you, I'm just talking about the example of the person in this fake scenario. It's not about people wanting for people to feel included. It's about people wanting to feel recognized for the feeling that they allegedly have of wanting people to feel included. I know, that's muddy. It's kind of like, Brandon, you're not making any sense. You're just talking a bunch of words. I'm going to try to say it again. It's not about people wanting people to feel open and welcome. It's mainly about people wanting to give the perception that they feel that everyone should feel welcome and open. How do I know that? Because people don't run around at the NBA saying we need more white people. And that's it. If you need examples, I got plenty more. Right? We don't we don't go to Victoria's Secret supermodel runway and say, "Hey, you know, Y'all really need more midgets. <laughs> Y'all need some more midgets right here. You know, midgets look good in lingerie too. No, they don't. But they will go somewhere where there's a lot of white people and they say, hey, y'all need some more black people up in here. Like uh, the FAA and like pilots and like cops. And I just find it odd. That's all. Like 
I'm not going to go all Alex Jones and screaming and crying and spitting and hollering. But these are the types of things that we should feel comfortable talking about. And I'm not going to lie. I thought about this for a long time. Listen, I don't want to be the guy who comes on every single week and gripes about race. I really don't. But I cannot help but talk about things when I observe them. And this is something that I pay a lot of attention to. And I don't really know why it's important to me. I guess because I notice... I notice nuances. I notice behavior. I see how people act. And, I, and I'm genuinely, <laughs> sound like Joe Biden, I'm genuinely curious to know why people act the way they do and what motivates them to say the things that they say and hold the signs that they hold and feel like that they're you know, entitled to this and other people are not. It's, it's genuinely something that interests me. And so I come on here and it may sound like I'm kind of ranting and bitching but really, it's just me being curious, you know? And it's hard talking to myself. I wish I could talk to other people about this kind of stuff. That's probably my own fault. There needs to be some kind of law that says you're not allowed to talk on your own podcast without a guest. And it's got to be a, you got to have a different colored skin guest every day of the week. That'd be a good, that'd be a good law. Okay, that's it. That's enough about segregation. People are going to see the title and go, oh my gosh, he's a segregation. He's a segregation. But listen, let people do what they want to do. Let them wear what they want to wear. If they want to wear dresses, that's fine. Just don't tell me that I got to wear a dress. You know what I mean? Jelly bean. It's actually not that bad. You know, it's really not. Things are not as bad as what they can appear to be. If all you did was listen to podcasts, including mine, and watch YouTube videos, and you never spent your life out there in the real world, you would probably think that things are bad. And that's what we have to remind ourselves. Like, even though I come on here and I rant about the negative things in life and the things are bothering me and how things go wrong and it's all just gone to hell, I still look back after I go to places like Mexico. Not that there's anything wrong with Mexico, but it, it sheds some light on the world. And I think to myself, what an amazing life. What an amazing world we live in. How lucky am I to have been born in the most wealthy nation of the entire world with the most opportunity and the nicest roads, except for Corpus Christi, and the best internet and air conditioning and heating in the house. And you have to just tell yourself it's actually not that bad. It's actually not that bad. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. To fully, am I, I'm not joking. These people pretend like there's no internet. There's Joe Biden saying you cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. What did he mean by that? Why is nobody busting his ass about that statement? I don't care. I think it's kind of funny. I would never recommend busting his ass about that statement. But his stupid little minion followers who think he can do no wrong pretend like he doesn't say, say these kinds of things. Is that a joke? Not a joke. Okay, if you say so, I guess it's not a joke. Civil rights, so that's fitting we honor him in this way. What? Frederick What? Douglass. What? Look, we have a lot to do. Okay, just making sure. All right, I think that's going to do it. Man, hour and 15 minutes. I still got two topics to cover. I'll have to hit those next week, or maybe if things are dead in beer land, maybe another midweek surprise. I don't know. I don't like making commitments if you haven't figured that out. But I do know one thing. If you're ever looking for a hammock, go to worldsbesthammocks.com, and you'll find the best hammocks you can possibly find in the entire world. 
Where else can you get the world's best anything for like 300 bucks? Nowhere. Nowhere else in the world can you get the best anything for that price except worldsbesthammocks.com. And I was recently told by a fan of mine today that I needed to include a segment, something in each show. They didn't say whether it was the beginning or the end, but something along the way that I needed to share like a tidbit of information or some advice. And I was recommended to call it the golden nugget. So I will continue pontificating on whether or not this shall be called the golden nugget. And these are going to be quick, so listen up, okay? Today's golden nugget is, this is a phrase that my grandfather on my dad's side used to tell me, okay? Here's what he would say. His name was Truman. Well, when I was first born, he was Papa T. And then my cousin, Thomas, started calling him Truman. And I heard why eventually. The reason was he didn't like to be called Papa T or Grandpop or whatever because it made him feel too old. So from about the age of like six, I called him Truman. And that, to me, Truman meant grandfather. I wasn't thinking that I was calling him a man by his first name. So it was kind of weird. So Truman used to say, here's what he'd say. He had a lot of really good sayings. One of them was, boy, you should always get more than what you need because you'll never know when you need more than what you got. And so that's today's golden nugget. And I live by that. Anyone who knows me <laughs> knows I don't just, I don't just, well, I, I go all in. Let's just put it that way. I go all the way in on most of what I do. But that's, you know what? That is a flaw, probably. Okay, an hour and 18 minutes. Man, before you know it, these shows are going to be like six hours long. And I'm going to be complaining about having to make a six-hour long show. But until then, we're going to stay in the hour to hour and a half range. And that's just the way it's going to be. If you can't listen to it all at one time, there's a little button. It's got two vertical lines on it. You pause it and come back and listen to it another time. I appreciate you listening to Life in Paradise podcast, the only show on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. One of these days I'm going to get that fixed, but probably not for a while. I hope everybody has a great week. Go out there, hold the door open for somebody. Throw your jacket on a puddle. Let a real nice lady walk across it. Buy a meal for a veteran. Give a stranger's dog a good head scratching. Safeguard your money. Buy some Bitcoin. And do not vote for Joe Biden.